Hi, everybody. My name is Greg Katz, and welcome to Tuesday's edition of WeRSC.com's Inside the Trojans Huddle, where we tell it like it is. Friends, Inside the Trojans Huddle is a game-like panel discussion that is posted each Tuesday during the season. The huddle features WeRSC columnists, staff writers, and historians. We first start off with the pregame show, where we introduce our panel members for this edition of Inside the Trojans Huddle. All right, let's meet the guys. A WeRSC columnist who writes WeRSC.com's Monday Morass, Yay or Nay, and Sunday Takeaways, in addition to regular season football and basketball reports. He also hosts his own podcast show entitled Locked On USC, Mark Culkin, the editor-in-chief of WeRSC.com, columnist, national recruiting guru, producer, and moderator of WeRSC's Four Downs and Five Things video shows, a graduate of USC, Eric McKenney. A former William Jewell College defensive back and WeRSC columnist who writes the popular WeRSC column, Musings with Arledge and Musings with Arledge solo video edition, a graduate of the USC Law School, Chris Arledge, and a weekly WeRSC columnist who writes Fridays, the obvious and not so obvious, IMHO Sunday, WeRSC.com's travel guide, and an active member of the Football Writers Association of America, your moderator and producer of Inside the Trojans Huddle, Greg Katz. Folks, if you enjoy WeRSC.com's Inside the Trojan Huddle, we thank you and strongly encourage those of you watching on sites like YouTube to click the like and red subscriber buttons. It's greatly valued, appreciated, and it is free. You can also listen to Inside the Trojans Huddle on most available podcast sites. And friends, speaking of WeRSC.com, we're offering first-time subscribers unlimited premium access for just $1 for a month and $74.99 for a full one-year premium subscription. You really won't want to miss USC football's premier website. It really does tell it like it is. All right, let's kick this baby off. Inside the Trojans, how do we start off by evaluating the new number five in the country, USC Trojans? They had a 56-10 victory over the Stanford Cardinal on Saturday night in the Coliseum. Before an announced Coliseum attendance of 67,213. So, here we go. Panel, your assessment of the Trojans' offense against Stanford. What and who stood out for you? We begin, as always, with Mark Culkin. Hey, so, um, I don't know. Is, is there a better offense in college football right now that's playing better than USC and Caleb Williams, a quarterback? Because, you know... That would be a, a hard argue if you're going to go with the field on that. Caleb's not even played a, a full game. He's nearly perfect with his stats. A little hyperbole there, but anybody who's watched him play, he's he's looked pretty pretty good. Um, I, what you take away from this game is is if Lincoln Riley wanted to be a jerk, uh, he could have left Caleb Williams and the first string offense in. And they legitimately could have probably gotten close to 80 points. That offense was doing what they wanted, how they wanted, when they wanted, at whatever pace they wanted. It was one of the most impressive halves of football I saw in offense. And I've watched a lot of USC football over the years. I've seen that USC-UCLA 50 to nothing score. I've seen USC put up 66 points on UCLA. You know, people can go back to that 55-24 USC-Notre Dame game and back in 1974. What we're watching right now is is revolutionary. Uh, to, to see 
how easy the game is for Caleb, that's scary. And he wants to be better than last year. And he's making it look like, you know what, he might stand, he, he might do that. Because I even, look, I, I understand the competition hasn't been the greatest. He, he's still making this game look too easy. And, uh, man, that's scary. Eric McKinney, editor-in-chief of WeRSC.com. Thoughts? Uh, they were one Mario Williams cutback from maybe a perfect first half on offense. I mean, it, it was – it's probably not that 2005 out of the gate against Arkansas where I think it was four touchdowns and eight plays or something. But, uh, again, Stanford is not a great team. They have a couple players on defense, especially in that defensive front. The USC offense for a, a big chunk of that first half made it seem like Stanford did not have anybody playing defense, let alone a, a couple guys who, who are pretty good. Uh, it was it was surgical. It was clinical. It was for a big chunk of those first 30 minutes as good as it gets. It's interesting because then you want to talk about the second half, and that was not. Not, that was not good offensive football from USC. The starters did not play. I mean, it, it was, they came out at halftime and it was like, collect the helmets. You guys are not going back in. So it's a different team that you're talking about in the second half. And yes, there's a, do you take your foot off the gas and the backup should be playing, you know, as well as they can. And, and that was let down, but I, there's no place for that in this, right? This was about the starters coming out and absolutely putting it all over Stanford with Yes, the the best half of football that USC has played under Lincoln Riley since he's been here. Chris Arledge. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think it's not only the best half of football since Lincoln Riley's been at USC, but one of the best I've ever seen at USC. Stanford's not great, but look, at this point, almost nobody is playing teams that are great. I mean, go look at who everybody else is playing. Ohio State didn't look very good. Michigan was very mediocre. Oklahoma was lousy against their opponent. Clemson was, I think, tied with that ridiculous team they were playing in the third quarter. So you can say, well, you know, big deal. It's just Stanford. But yeah, but it was 49-3 at halftime against Stanford. And they and and USC was They were, they were every bit as good as I thought they could be this season. And here's the reality. Nobody's going to stop this USC offense unless they stop themselves or unless somebody is so strong up front that they're just blowing up plays. And even if you do that, Caleb Williams is still going to make some plays. But if you can't do that, if you are not consistently whipping USC's offensive line, you don't have a chance. USC has Deuce Robinson playing garbage time minutes. Deuce <laughs> Robinson is a freakish talent. He's probably going to be a top 15 NFL draft pick in, in three years, right? You don't see guys that are 6'6 with arms that long who are that fast, who can get up and high point the football. Those guys don't come out every year. That guy is an absolute freak. He barely plays. That's how good this USC offense is. You have the best college quarterback I've ever seen. He does everything, and he makes it look easy. 
you now have explosiveness in the offensive backfield, which USC did not have last year. They have it now. Marshawn Lloyd is every bit as good as I hoped he would be. He's, I mean, he's fantastic. And not only is he strong and quick and fast, but he'll run down and he'll he'll run down 30 yards and make a key block, right? That kid's fantastic. Zach Branch is freakishly good. Lincoln Riley hasn't even pulled out a play for him yet. Now, that's coming. And if I were Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame, I would be frantically trying to figure out how that's going to be set up because you know it's coming. He hasn't even done it yet because he doesn't have to. He has he has one of the great talents you're going to see in the open field. And it's like, eh, you know, we'll throw him out there at slot. He'll be our number five receiver. And if he's open, we'll throw to him. But since everybody's open, we're not going to throw to him all that often. I mean, it's an unbelievable collection of talent that is playing extraordinarily well and is coached by probably the best offensive coach in the nation. Unless somebody has an incredible defensive line, they don't have a chance. Not a chance. I don't care who it is. Georgia, if Georgia wants to slow down the USC offense, they have to blow up the offensive line just about every down. Because if not, they don't match up with USC either. Nobody does. Nobody matches up with this USC offense. It's the best group since 2005. And because Caleb Williams is is substantially better than Matt Liner, and I love Matt Liner. I love me some Matt Liner. But Caleb Williams is a different animal. It's probably a better group than 2005. Well, I, I, before we went on the air here, I was trying to get a, a pulse of different uh, analysts across the country, and I came across Joel Klatt, and he he questioned whether USC isn't the best team in the country at this point in time. Uh, he thinks the offense is every bit of what you guys all said. His question, as it always has been from the start of the season, which we all probably uh, support, is what about the defense? It was his assessment that in watching the game, uh, that SC's defense is on the verge of being actually good. And his response is the same as most people have said. Even if it isn't good, as long as it's uh, effective, uh, SC is going to play against anybody. Let's put it that way. So m- my feeling on it was it was frightening how how good Caleb Williams is surgically using every potential option that he has when the ball is in his hands. I mean, some of his uh, pitches out to, to wide receivers when he's running. I mean, two things struck me. So I think it was Branch or somebody who's running around the near sideline, and uh, Caleb is trying to be the lead blocker. I, I mean, I wish he wouldn't do that, but it shows you his competitiveness. And what it, what does that signal to his offense? Is our quarterback's willing to to look for a spring, a block. And then what does he do on his own touchdown run? He just runs right into the defensive back and knocks him backwards to get in the end zone. I mean, he, I, I it's just mind blowing. If he's not the Heisman trophy winner, I don't care what you do or uh, Sanders does the rest of them. I'm sorry. Caleb Williams is a freaking freak. And I, I am very hard to be impressed by anything and anybody at this stage of the game for me. But boy, I'll tell you, he is magnificent. Now, we touched on the defense, so let's let's move over to that side of the ball. Panel, your assessment of the Trojans' defense on Saturday night against Stanford's offense. 
uh, what and who stood out for you. Mark? I thought they made significant improvement from you know, week week zero to, to week two, especially from week one to, to week two for using the college football calendar. Um, they, look, I, I know everyone's saying, well, they gave up 200 yards rushing to Stanford. Okay. You, when you, when you kind of peel back the layers a little bit, the backup quarterback led the team with 16, 16 rushing attempts. Their leading two rushers as far as yards was uh, Casey Philkins and EJ Smith. They each ran the ball five times. Casey finished with 63 yards. He had one one run that went for 50. So those other four runs weren't doing a whole lot. And then the same same thing with EJ Smith. He had one, he had a total of 53 yards, and one run, one of them was for what 20 or 29. I can't run off the top of my head, but the rest of his the rest of his yards were, you know, just average. They Stanford had no passing game once Ashton Daniels went out. The the way USC's defense right now is playing is what we've all said throughout the preseason, offseason, now into the season. They don't got to be right. They just got to get better, tackle, and get the ball back to the offense. And that's what they're doing right now. Uh, the secondary gave up no big plays. It looked like they were able to successfully cover a tight end. They kept uh, Urasek to, what, four catches? He was a non-factor. So as far as I'm concerned, yes, Stanford is learning a new system. Their starting quarterback got knocked out early because USC is showing some physicality on defense. Uh, everything's starting to come together. Now they got a bye week. Anybody who's dinged up, injured, or whatever the case might be, they get everybody back, hopefully fresh, healthy, when they come out to uh, Arizona State. So right now, you, you don't want to say it's everything's perfect, everything's great, but you're starting to see some improvement on the defense. They're creating turnovers. And, you know, players who we didn't talk, we talked about on occasion, like Solomon Bird, he looks like he's going to be an all-conference player at defensive end right now. They're getting production from the rush end. What was missing last year? Production from the rush end. So those are the, the improvements that we're seeing. And, and I'm sure Alex Grinch is going to be running up to the microphone uh, on Tuesday after practice to kind of say, hey, look, and get the job done. So we'll see. Eric? Yeah, good points and, and points where you're still kind of, you know, to be determined down the road. Uh, this was a defense that, again, against Stanford early on, you had – Stanford's first, what is this? One, two, three, four, five drives go 16 plays, eight play, or sorry, 16 yards, eight yards, 12 yards, minus five yards, and 32 yards. The next time the USC defense takes the field, it's 35 to nothing. And that's what they've done to the Stanford offense at that point. It's difficult to stay revved up in, in the red line at a game where you're winning 35 to nothing before you've really had to do anything. So the, the yards, the big plays, that kind of stuff, you're a little bit understanding of it. it. Bottom line is it's still happening, right? It's still happening. It's still and, – and Stanford kind of went back to what we saw a couple years ago over the previous staff, that fly sweep motion getting outside and, and beating linebackers out there. That's and, – and Alex Grinch kind of says that. He's like, anytime you give something up, everyone saw that. Everyone in your, on your future schedule saw that. 
And they're always going to try something like that to see, is is that really an issue? So USC is absolutely going to see that again. Uh, can they fix that? Gave up another, I'm not going to call it a deep ball, but a shot where a corner was trailing and, and couldn't make the play uh, to bat it down. So there's some things in there where you're still thinking, okay, what, what happens against the better teams? But what really jumped out to me in terms of the positive is – they absolutely knocked Stanford around. They they pushed them around. They hit them hard. They not, right? You don't root for guys to get hurt, but you knock a quarterback out of the game. That says something about kind of what you're doing defensively. Uh, they, they hit him. They harassed the quarterback. They pushed the line around. There was a presence up front. Max Williams and Bryson Shaw, played really really well Kalen Bullock after kind of a I don't think he was great against San Jose State has put together two really good games in a row what you want from him you mentioned Solomon Bird so so the positives far and away outweigh the negatives and I don't know if you're going to get the same after the first two games kind of nationally when you would hear commentators talk about USC it was very easy to follow everything with yeah but that defense yeah but that defense I think that game changes it a little bit to where you're starting to hear, hey, maybe maybe it's not, yeah, but that defense. Maybe, maybe there is something there. It, it definitely gave you a hint of that they are good enough. I mean, if if they play like that, that's good enough, I think, to beat every team coming, provided you get that offensive display uh, every time they, they go out there. So, again, a, a great step. For, for the defense you're just you're just not going to be able to complain about a lot in a 56 to 10 game where you ran the score up that quickly and that assertively Chris yeah the defense is getting better on a weekly basis now they're getting better um you know you look at the Nevada game and even though it was Nevada you say okay the defense played well, and there have, there were plenty of times last year where USC played against lousy offenses and and didn't control them. So you at least felt good that USC could control a, uh, control somebody, even if it was a bad team. With Stanford, you still have a bad offense, but you look, Stanford can recruit some guys. I mean, that's a good tight end. Emmett Smith's kid's a pretty good player. I mean, it's not like it's not like Stanford doesn't have any talent on the roster. And USC absolutely annihilated them. Uh, Eric mentioned it. You got great play from the safeties. That was the best. That was the best safety play we've seen at USC in years. Kalen Bullock is an All-American. Is playing like it. And Max Williams and Bryson Shaw. Um, Bryson was killing some dudes out there. I mean, he was lighting people up. You watch it and say, "Okay, now I get it. I understand why Grinch wanted that guy." They were fantastic. Uh, Solomon Bird is the most improved player on this football team. He is consistently playing well at this point, and he's becoming a problem. Uh, and I think USC is going to get substantially better everywhere else as the year goes on. You think about it, USC, they didn't have their best linebacker in this game, who I think will be their best linebacker. Right? Mason Cobb didn't play. Uh, Gentry is not full speed, I don't think, and he's not playing all that much. So you have two guys that have hardly played. Both of whom are, both of whom are playing pretty well, and and are athletic. But look, Tacky Curtis and Rayshon Davis are going to be much better in Week Ten than they are now, just from the reps and the experience. They're going to be dramatically better. Bear Alexander is going to be dramatically better. 
That kid hasn't played a ton of football. He's a sophomore who didn't start last year. I mean, he has not played a lot of football. He is freakishly athletic and big and strong. He's everything you'd want. He's going to get better. Uh, the corners are going to get better. So I, I look at it. I say this is not this is not a defense that's going to look like Pete Carroll's 2008 unit. They're ne- they're not going to be that. They're not going to look like Georgia's unit. I don't know that it matters because you know what you know what Georgia's offensive unit is not going to look anything like USC's either. Right, night and day difference. The question is, can these guys? They're going to give up big plays. The corners are going to give up big plays. They're on an island all the time, and they're young, and they've shown that they're going to give up a big play from time to time. That's going to happen. USC is going to give up long runs. They're not getting they're not getting beat on consistently in the run game. They're not giving up eight yards, seven yards, six yards, eight yards. It's not that. They play pretty well against the run most of the time, and they give up 60 yards. And they do it every week, and it's frustrating, and I hate it. It's just going to happen. We're just going to have to make peace with it. Colorado is going to have two or three long plays against the defense. They're just going to. The question is, though, whether USD's defense is good enough to compete with the good offenses, because I think very few of the opposing defenses will be able to compete with USC's offense, right? It's going to be a brutal mismatch on that side of the ball. So can you get a few stops? Can you, can you hold a team to 30 points? A good team. I think they can. I think USC can hold a good offense to 30 points. And if you score 30 points against this USC team, you are going to lose probably by multiple scores, right? I mean, at some point, USC's offense is going to have a bad week. Caleb Williams is going to be a little bit off or something, right? That's going to happen. They'll put the ball on the carpet. They'll have some penalties. That sort of stuff happens. I'm not saying they're going to score 45 every week. I'm saying they're going to score 45 every week, but probably one. They're just that good. So is the defense good enough to do what they need them to do? Yeah, honestly, I think they are. And I think they're going to continue to get better as the year goes on because so many of the key players just don't have a ton of experience. And the guys that do have experience are already playing well, and I think we can count on. So, yeah, I feel pretty good about it, actually. I don't know if I put them number one, but I'd say this. If USC played Georgia tomorrow on a neutral field, USC has a legitimate chance to win that football game. And that's not something I would have said last year. Well, what I liked about watching the defense from the press box was the um, communication. I thought at times early in this season, uh, it was like 11 mutes were out there. Uh, But they were really talking. You could see it. They're pointing. They're animated. You know, when I was at Edison uh, High School, and I know that we do have some Edison uh, players from that. Those two CIF championship teams that watch the show, which we appreciate. I remember the late coach, head coach, Bill Workman, we were standing side by side during practice and we were talking about what it takes to have a great defense. And Edison at the high school level had great defenses. Um, And he said, every defense, and I'm going to clean this up. So I'm just going to give the first letter of the word. Every defense needs four D's on defense. He says, because they set the tone for the other seven guys. And I'm, I was looking, okay, Bear Alexander, he is really into it. You can take the first two games, throw them out the window. He is into it. You can see the leadership he's bringing. 
he's maybe the best since Mike Patterson at, at nose tackle. He's a, he's completely disruptive. Jamil uh, Muhammad is amazingly good. He is one of those players that we talk we talk about who has really really brings it, uh, and his enthusiasm it shows. Tackett Curtis. He learned from last week's ejection. Don't do that again. But let's face it, you know, he is a enforcer there and he's getting better and better. I'm not going to mention everybody. There was a couple of guys that said, you know, if they don't play better, they're not going to play, uh, no matter what their reputation was coming out of high school. But I really felt that this defense is together. I think they sense and listening to some of the comments, they're excited to get that Trojan offense on the field. I would imagine that if I'm a offensive coordinator for a team of playing SC, I would be panicked not to give up the ball uh, and to move the ball against SC's defense. Because once SC's defense, uh, as I think we saw against Stanford, smells the hunt, you know, they go after it and uh, they're very, very difficult to get off the mark. They're, they're playing with great enthusiasm. To me, that's, that's a sign beginning of a good defense. Now, Special teams. What do you? What did you think? Who stood out for you, Mark? Nothing. Next question. Um, look, <laughs> Zachariah. <Nothing. laughs> here's what stood out to me, and I think we all, we look at each other in the press box after. Why are you even considering kicking and punting to Zachariah Branch? If you're kicking off, just let USC start at the 35. You're probably going to be better off. If your guy can't put it out of the back of the end zone, and that's the one thing Stanford was able to do with Josh Cardi, is make USC start at the 25 when they kicked it off, what, there are three times in the game. But, man, don't punt. Do not punt to them. Because not just Zachariah Branch, Michael Jackson, he's capable we talk about the guys who are willing to block. This team is unselfish. If you're not going to – USC's defense, that, that's actually another weapon. If USC gets off, you know, can get the, the the opposition off the field, they might not even have to put their offense back on the field. So there, there's another element to this team right now. Yeah, Zachariah Branch, he's, he's pretty good. And Michael, Michael Jackson the third is uh, give him a crease. He might want he might not want to take a backseat to anybody. Eric, I mean Branch is obviously the the story. SC had two holding penalties on uh, on punt returns and and took one away. So the special teams in every phase is better than it was last year. Clearly. I don't know what the numbers end up being at the end of the year, but at this point, it's it's better across the board. And I, I give Lincoln Riley credit because that was one of the first things he said when he talked about kind of building the roster and bringing guys in. He said, when, when you add the depth that we want to add, one of the first places you're going to see it is on special teams because you're going to have better players across the board covering kicks, blocking on returns, all of that stuff. I think we've seen that. So far, I can understand Stanford punting to Zachariah Branch. He's a true freshman. Uh, he got loose on that kick return. You assume that your coverage teams are better than San Jose State's coverage teams because San Jose State's coverage teams last year were terrible. 
I will not understand any team going forward punting or kicking to Zachariah Branch. It, it makes no sense anymore. And I do think Lincoln Riley was right when he said, you know, he's a true freshman. He took one back. You know, you, you don't want to like give up before the game starts. You you got to give up now. You you can't challenge him by just letting your punter kick it 60 yards downfield and hope that you can you can bring him down. So that changes the game and and shifts things. Even if he's not returning it, we've talked a few times about when another team comes in and has to spend that much time on special teams and trying to figure it out and telling their punter, you can't do what you normally do. You got to do this stuff. You win that battle kind of before the game starts. And if you mess up and you give him one, he's, he's going to take it back. I mean, his, his speed, his elusiveness is just different to the point where when he gets a crease, he's just, he's extending going away from, uh, from the guys trying to chase him. He's not, like, it's not like he gets free and you wonder if he can take it. If there's any kind of crease, he's gone. He's gone and nobody's catching him. So uh, he's been he's been unbelievable. Uh, Dennis Lynch keeps piping home the, those extra points, which is all you, all you want him to, to go out there and do. And the Cubs teams have been good. Uh, I, I just, through three weeks, again, It'd be great if Michael Jackson the third had a uh, punt return touchdown to his credit right now, and and the penalties you gotta you gotta get rid of those. Um, but this was not a strong special teams team last year. They are at this point looks like they they could be very well in that plus territory uh, when it comes to special teams. Chris. You guys remember that Colorado Notre Dame national championship game? I think it was the Orange Bowl in in 1990. Uh, Eric may not; he's too young, but the rest of us probably remember it. Uh, where where they kicked it to Rocket Ismail, he ran it back for a touchdown. There was a holding penalty that brought it back. I was thinking about that because not only because Zachariah Branch reminds me a lot of Rocket Ismail. It look if you're a young Trojan, first of all, if you're an older Trojan, just that name probably makes you feel a little bit of fear. Um, but if you're a young Trojan, go check out Rocket Ismail uh, on YouTube. You tell me whether or not he doesn't look like Zachary Branch. It's the same thing where every time he gets the ball, it's like, I'm pretty sure this guy's going to score. And if you tackle him, it's shocking. I bring it up, though, because they kicked to him. Rocket Ismail was a junior. The weird thing about football coaches are that football coaches actually talk themselves into well, you know, we've worked on this. I like my coverage unit. I believe in these guys. I think that, you know, if we directional kick and we pin him on the sideline, people are going to kick to him. Not every week. Not everybody's going to be stupid, but there will be some people that are stupid. So that's number one. He's still going to get a chance to return kicks. Yeah, we're going to see a lot of shanked punts by teams who are scared to death to kick it to him, as they should be. But we're going to see some coaches that are stubborn. I'm going to nominate Kyle Whittingham because I know how stubborn Kyle Whittingham is. I think Kyle Whittingham is going to talk himself into, you know, we're we're you know we're disciplined, we're tough, we're good tacklers, uh, and and that'll be Zach Branch's next uh, punt return touchdown against the Utes. But uh, so number one is he will get some chances, and when he does, he's otherworldly. Michael Jackson is a really good football player. I was thrilled to see that return. Um, but it's different. When you watch Michael Jackson return the punt, you say, that's a good football player. That kid can run. Nice cut. Good job. When you watch Zachariah Branch, you say, holy smokes, he may not be human. Now, I have a message for the punt return team at USC. Don't hold anybody ever 
ever. What do you think that guy's going to do? You think that guy's going to tackle him in the open field? Don't hold him. Look, the likelihood that the way you're going to stop Zach Branch is you're going to kick it really high and you're going to have a bunch of guys around him and he's going to make the first two guys miss and then you're going to tackle him, right? That's what's going to happen when you stop him. Um, but that one guy that you're trying to block, if you screw up and don't block him, just let him go. It's at least, it's at least a 50-50 shot that that guy's just going to fall on the ground, lose his jock. I mean, what's it's stupid to, it's stupid to hold for him. Don't do it. By the way, that's almost true for Caleb Williams at this point, right? If don't miss a block and get Caleb Williams hurt, there's nothing that would be worse than that. But you know what? If you miss a block, there's a good chance that guy's not touching him anyway, right? He's not. I mean, you saw it last year when you'd have you'd have uh, you'd have the backside edge rusher come through clean and wouldn't even get a hand on. Yeah, Caleb wouldn't even see him. He'd just know he's there, and he'd just kind of twist around. The guy would fall down. Don't When you have spectacular athletes like that, don't hold. That's the only thing I have to say. Otherwise, I feel pretty good about our special teams and uh, the likelihood that USC is going to continue to get great field position seems to me to be pretty high. Well, I think you guys covered it all. I would like to just throw in uh, punter Eddie uh, Chaplitsky. Um he had five punts, 42.2. What I was impressed with, three of his those punts uh, were inside the 20-yard uh, line. And uh, sometimes, you know, Eddie gets lost in the shuffle of the special teams and well-deserved uh, for Zachariah Branch. Uh, but uh, I, the only thing I'll just conclude with this is, once again, I, I Mark said it, Eric said it in the press box, Chris said it, but I, I'm going to say it. Uh, why any coach kicks to, to branches beyond me. It's a macho thing with coaches. Nobody does that to us because we're better coach and yada, yada. But uh, it will be interesting to watch what happens uh, in the future. Can't even, out, can't even, yeah. even on the punt team, you don't want to outkick your coverage because the more space you give Zach, it's you're just creating more open field. So you're, you're better off just saying, USC, you're going to start where we kick the ball out of bounds. You're right, but there's going to be somebody that's going to continue to do it. We'll see. Fans, ever been caught up in a last-minute event ticket frenzy? The stress, the uncertainty, it's crunch time. You don't need it. I know the feeling, but guess what? There's a game-changing solution, and it's called Game Time. Imagine this effortless ticket buying for all of your favorite sports, music, comedy, theater, arts, events. No more frantic searches. Game Time is your ultimate ticket buddy. That sounds good to me. Want perks? Well, how about incredible deals on last-minute tickets and a rock-solid best price guarantee? Say goodbye to ticket anxiety and hello to the sheer joy of being in the moment. Now, just because the Trojans are on the road for two straight weeks following this week's buy, if you are planning on going on the road with the Trojans, having a trouble finding tickets, check out tickets for upcoming away games at ASU, Colorado, and Notre Dame, respectively. Check out remaining USC home games while you're at it with Arizona, Utah, Washington, and UCLA on game time. Now, aside from USC, you can also head to game time for tickets for the Dodgers, Angels, Rams, Chargers, tickets to all your favorite L.A. teams, and don't forget the great concerts as well. Flash deals, easy access, seat view images, unbeatable best price guarantee, 
event protection. Game time has it all from sports to rock concerts. So here's the deal. Head to gametime.co. That's gametime.co, C-O, not .com, and download the app, create an account, use code TROJANS for $20 off your first purchase. Ready to dive in? Well, as for buying the tickets, easy as tapping on your phone. Tickets are sent straight to your phone. Again, download the GameTime app, create an account, use code TROJANS for $20 off. Terms apply. Create an account and redeem code TROJANS for $20 off your first purchase. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Second quarter. Here we go. Panel this week, the Trojans have a bye week, the first of two bye weeks. The second one coming after the final regular season game against UCLA on November 18th. Panel, your overall assessment and analysis of the offense after the first three games, I know we touched on it. But reflecting on it, is it surpassed what you thought it was going to be? Is it where you thought it was going to be? I don't think you're going to say it's underachieving. But, uh, Chris, what do you think? Yeah, I actually thought this is what we were going to see. I mean, Caleb Williams was unbelievable last year, but Lincoln Riley was talking about the fact that, um, you know, it only started for a year and a half and he'd get better. And I think he is better now. He's so comfortable back there. Uh the offensive line has played well. I thought they would, but I think that I think that's a group that's going to uh, that's going to continue to get better too because they haven't played a lot together. Um, so they should continue to improve. And uh, and you know, it, there's just so much talent around him. I'm pleasant. I, I'm I'm pleased by Marshawn Lloyd. I thought he would be good. I think he surpassed my expectations. I think he's actually really good. Um, I am uh, I'm thrilled to death with the way Taj Washington has played. He was a good player last year. He's a different player this year. I mean, he's exceptional. And and so I don't know. I mean, you, you look at that. Uh, you look at the offense, and you figure that an offense that talented with a quarterback that good, that experienced, with a play caller that good, is probably going to dominate every week. And that's essentially what we've seen. So. Yeah, I think they've uh, I think they've sort of been what I expected them to be so far. Mark? Yeah, and there's not a whole lot to really add to what Chris has said. The the best part about this is, you know, and we've all said it already, they're only going to get better as the year goes on. You're talking about Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams pretty much having like having being able to read each other's mind. Caleb Williams knows that, hey, you know what? I probably shouldn't do this. I'm going to do it anyways because I, I know what needs to be done in this situation. So let's take a chance here. Like that third and one. He knew he shouldn't have thrown the deep ball, but he threw it anyways and said everybody knew that Stamper wasn't a threat in the game. So it's like, let's see what happens if we if we gamble at this point. I don't know sure. if there's a whole... I'm sorry, Mark, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. No, no, there's just not a whole lot more that we want to say about this offense because one, who they've gone again up against to this point, but when you watch them play, you see how much ease there is in what they're doing. If they want to run the ball, they're going to run the ball five yards a clip. If they want to throw the ball over the middle, they're finding guys over the middle. They want to create open space, but the slot guys, they're doing that. The offensive line is probably the win, the one area where we need to see 
more improvement and what Chris talked about. If they start to just stop, if they stop rotating as much and just let the starting five play, I think we'll be okay there too. Caleb Williams is going to cover up any deficiency you might have. If the def- if the opponent's defense gets into the backfield, so what? He has it. He has it in his mind where he knows how much time he has, when to step up, when to step back, when to step right, when to step left, when to take off, and then when to just like, get rid of the ball at the, at the right moment. This offense, it, we talked about it in the first in the first quarter, unless the opponent's defense can get to Caleb Williams and get him to the ground, you don't have a chance to stop this offense. And when you look at their schedule, there is nobody on their schedule that is going to is going to stop this offense. So let's just enjoy the ride. Eric, a couple of things stand out for me. The bad news. Uh, I think Gino Quinone is going down is, is a big hit uh, to this offense. Again, if if you can roll out your five starters and there's still that Michael Tarquin, who I think is, is the clear starter, but then Mason Murphy really close behind him. He keeps coming in um, like every third series or so to, to play there, but losing Gino from the center of that line is big. When you look down the line, I mean, there were games last year where USC would kind of randomly not have a Justin Deej available. And then obviously the way the season ended without having Brett Nealon or Andrew Voorhees available, Gino was a big piece of that depth there in the middle. So that immediately makes it interesting and puts a lot of pressure on talking about a true freshman in, in Alani Noah, maybe Andrew Millick's a guy, Killian, Killian O'Connor we saw play, play backup center. That puts a lot of pressure on those guys to be the guy if you need to go to them. Uh, the offensive line looks the way we thought it would look, right? The three transfers have fit in at those three spots at guard and, and at right tackle. And the two guys coming back, Justin D, a couple of hiccups here and there. Jonah Monheim has been standing at left tackle. So that, that to me is the key. How well is the offensive line playing? How well can they play going forward? How much depth can you establish there? I think that last part is going to be, Really interesting. I think at the skill positions, it's been what we expected it to. The biggest question we had coming in, Jordan Addison, when he committed to USC last year, it was clear he is the guy. He is going to dominate targets when he is on the field, and that's what happened. The expectation for this year with the wide receivers is who's who's going to be that guy? Does it matter? Do they need a, a number one guy, or can you spread it around? Uh, at this point, you have six players with between eight to 10 catches. You have four guys averaging at least 23 yards per catch. It's insane. Austin Jones has been the least effective running back. He is averaging 7.6 yards per carry. Marshawn Lynch is at 7.8. Quentin Joyner is at 8.1. What do you do if you're if you're a defensive quarter? Oh, we have to take away this guy. And the list of this guy is like 14 names long. So that that's what really comes out is that you can put anybody anywhere, do anything with anyone. And how do you attack it defensively other than, like Chris said, if you can get to Caleb Williams and hit him within, what, two seconds, two and a half seconds of him getting the ball, that that's how you have to defend this off- offense. It is coming from anywhere. They've shown that 
Caleb Williams can make two yard passes while he's running and standing next to the receiver. He can hit Brendan Rice for a 75 yard deep ball on a shot where they kind of telegraph and say, we're going to hit this play during this game. We need to find the right spot. And they found it and did it. I mean, it, it's, it's crazy. It's the, the offense is, is unbelievable. I think again, if, if you want to, sort of say, but it's that Geno injury and and how quickly can you get to a seven or an eight or or that's probably the cap, I think, at this point. Offensive linemen, where if you need to in South Bend, if you if you need to go to them or anything like that, that you can. But no, I mean with the skill guys, it's 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 unbelievable. Yeah, I I think the offense is better than I thought it would be because the players that have returned, the skilled players, are better. Uh, at quarterback, he's just better. Caleb is just better. He, he, you cannot defend him running, passing. We already know that. Uh, what I like is they're throwing to the tight end. I thought Lake McCree is becoming more and more an option. Uh, and, and mark my words, somewhere, some game, at the at the biggest moment, Jude Wolf is going to catch a touchdown pass and he's going to be a big factor because everyone's going to go, who is that guy? But he's he's, he's playing now. But the fact that uh, the Lincoln is throwing to the tight end is kind of where I think we all want to see it go. Obviously he thinks that he's doing that. They're recruiting tight ends, but um, they're just better on offense than I thought they would be. Now switching gears, we're fourth away in the season. How about this defense? Uh, your overall assessment, are they as you thought they'd be? Are they better than you thought they'd be? Uh, what do you think, Chris? So I I think they're what I expected them to be at this point. I, I did think this was a defense that was going to be much improved because I thought they'd be better up front. And I thought they would probably – uh, and I thought they'd probably dominate the first few opponents just because uh, the first three, no, let's throw Arizona state in. they're the first four, the first four are terrible. And I figured they'd, they'd, they'd handle those guys just fine. Uh, they have Mark? some major, they have some major challenges coming up, right? I mean, you looked at it and you said, okay, well in five of the last six games, they have big time challenges. And now with Colorado becoming, a real threat offensively, at least you now look at six, six of the last eight games, you're playing against offenses that can light you up if you make mistakes. Uh, and they're going to get lit up a few times. Um, that's going to happen. The truth is that would probably happen to any, uh, any defense playing in this conference. I mean, I, I, I really think that if you took, if you took uh, Georgia and you put them in the PAC 12 this year, they're going to give up 30 a bunch of times because there's so many good quarterbacks and so many tough offenses. Um, but I think, I think they, I think they look Bear Alexander is what I hoped he would be. Kion bars is solid, which I hoped he would be. Um, Bird and uh, Muhammad are better than I thought they would be. So, yeah, I mean, I feel pretty good about this defense, but, but don't, don't kid yourself. They're going to have some rough days, and not because they're not because they're bad. I don't think they're bad. I think they're going to be pretty good, but they're going to have some rough days because this schedule is about as bad as it gets for a defensive coordinator. Right? It's just terrible. Every week you're going to face somebody who can play. 
except the next game. You're not going to play anybody that week to come play. But after that, after that, it's guys who can play. Mark? Yeah, they're, they're what I was hoping they would be. And that's better than last year and getting better as each week goes along. Chris touched on some of the players. I've We've all touched on them. They're getting production at positions that they weren't getting it at last year. And that's part of Alex Grinch's scheme. Getting pressure from the edge. Jamil Muhammad has solidified the starter's role. Solomon Bird, he was playing rush end last year. He's playing defensive end this year with his hand in the dirt, and he's doing a hell of a job. He's getting to the quarterback. He's knocking quarterbacks out of the game. He's getting sacks, forcing fumbles. Chris mentioned this the, the safety play early in the show. Or maybe it was Eric. We all they they look better. They're 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 playing their assignments. Bryson Shaw is healthy. Um he's knocking people out, you know. At the sideline, as long as they don't make mistakes, give up the big plays, they're doing their job. Get the ball back to the offense. We knew they weren't going to create as many turnovers as they as they did last year. Season's still young. They're on the plus side now. As long as they maintain the plus side and tackle, this is all you need this from this defense. Get off the field, get the ball back to the offense. And that's what they've done so far. They made Stanford – They Stanford tried to run an up-tempo. That wasn't successful. Stanford was kind of forced to, to do things that they weren't comfortable doing. And if USC's defense can force you to do something you're not comfortable doing, that's – you're doing a good job. Mr. McKinney? They've – They've done what they've needed to do so far. I think they've shown what they needed to show. They are absolutely leaps and bounds better in the front six along that that defensive front. And they had to, they had to be that. You couldn't bring in that many transfer portal guys, true freshmen, and and really address that group and not show significant improvement there. I think that's big. Uh, you have got some quarterbacks coming up down the road. And again, I know we're talking about what we've seen so far and not what might come later, but it, it, the corners are going to get challenged. They're good. They're going to get challenged in a big way down the line. The question that you're, I just don't know if we're going to have an answer for until we see it. And maybe it's, it's all the way at that Washington game. I don't know if, if Notre Dame is, is a huge challenge there with the combination of quarterback receiver, I mean, it, it'll be the the first one. Colorado, certainly you're, you're going to get a little bit there. Uh, that's going to be where, where you really get a sense of, can they, can they hold up the two spots? Like Mark talks about that. You got not enough from last year. Uh, and Lincoln Riley talked about that a lot, the nickel spot and the rush end spot. And right now, Jalen Smith is, is playing well, leading the team, in tackles Jamil Muhammad is playing well two forced fumbles a couple sacks so you're getting you're getting more of an impact from those spots uh and if you can have I mean a, a guy like Stanley Taufo so much was put on him last year to be the guy in the middle 
you can see when he can share a little bit of that when Bear Alexander's in there, when, when Keon Bars is in there, when you have those guys, he plays well. I mean, and you're seeing that from a lot of the defensive guys when it's not all on them, the way USC did not have enough depth last year, that took a toll as the season went along. So I, I think you're seeing what the depth can do and you're seeing what, what the new guys can do. I, I think you have to be pleased with what they've done so far uh it's not report cards not due yet right you you still have you still have the tests coming up um i'll I'll just say this they're where i wanted them to be uh the jury is still out in in a lot of respects for me because as you mentioned the most biggest challenges for this defense is awaiting them i want to see what happens when they get knocked down a couple of times i want to see what happens when they go up against a really good offensive line like Notre Dame has. How do they respond? It's going to be how this team responds. You can always look great when you're beating up on less talented uh, teams on offense. How do they respond? We'll, we'll, we'll get a little shot of it. Arizona's got a, you know, uh, when they when they come back to play Arizona with Jaden Daniels, uh, then they'll go right into Colorado. Uh, and, you know, they're going to have to break the will of the Colorado offense. Uh, I heard today Mel Kuyper of ESPN said that uh, if uh, Shadur uh, comes out uh, in 2025, he'll be the number one overall draft pick. People will be talking about him like they're talking about Caleb Williams now. So uh, I'm cautiously optimistic, but I want to see how they react to it. Now, we pretty much talked about special teams. Are I Probably simple answers here. Chris, are you happy with what you've seen in the first quarter of the schedule from the special teams? I mean, I'd like to find a return man, but other than that, I feel pretty good about it. <laughs> Mark? Yeah. Well, I'm not even sure what we're, we're supposed to say at this point. Eric? Yeah, I mean, the questions are still there in terms of can you hit a deep field goal when it matters? And are you eventually – going to get burned when you're not hitting touchbacks, you know, at a, at a huge rate. So, so those are two things where I don't know if we have the answer yet. The coverage has been really good and the return options that you have give you an advantage going into every single game on special teams. USC did not go into maybe any game last year with what looked like a clear special teams advantage that that's not the case this year. So again, we're talking about like Riley kind of flipping a roster. This is his second year. Uh, th- those, those are big steps, big steps on, on special teams too, just like we've seen offensively, defensively. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just wrap it up by saying we, we need to find out does Dennis Lynch have it when the game is really on the line, fourth quarter, is he going to be able to kick that field goal? That's important. Uh, can Eddie uh, and his putting punting, uh, pin them back inside the 20 when it really counts. So there there's still challenges ahead but I think by and large they've uh, they're they're better than they were last year. But none of that has anything to do with these past three games is what we were supposed to be talking about. I don't think anybody anticipated Dennis Lynch having to kick a long field goal under pressure against any of these teams. No the- question. So we can say what if. But let's worry about that what if. I don't even know if USC is going to be in a position to, to be in that position at all this year. 
Everyone's talking about Shador. Everybody's talking about Shador Sanders. I saw a different game than some other people because Nebraska made him look kind of pedestrian. Nebraska finds a quarterback, they win that game. But we'll he's not he's not Caleb Williams. He's not anywhere close he's, to Caleb Williams. Look, he's gonna be a challenge. Travis Hunter's gonna be a challenge. That little running back's gonna be a challenge. Colorado's offense is a problem. Um, but uh, but he's not Caleb Williams. Look, USC is going to need to kick a field goal at some point. I mean, everybody, no matter how good you are, you're going to have a game that that's going to come down. I don't down think to they're going to need a 48 yarder from him at any point. Well, hopefully not, because I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced that that's his range. But uh, we'll see. Well, a reminder uh, to all USC football fans: following the conclusion of each and every USC football game, home and away. WeRSC.com brings you five things, an immediate analysis and response from WeRSC Editor-in-Chief Eric McKinney and columnist Mark Culkin and Greg Katz. The trio answer and discuss five important in-depth questions about the game just concluded. If you want to see it, and uh, immediately, as soon as uh, it's taped from the press box of wherever we're at, uh, go to YouTube. That's the first place you can go. And then, of course, uh, on WeRSC.com site. So. With that, let's move on. Halftime uh, panel, do you think that this week's buy comes at the right time, Eric? No, it comes at a terrible time. Terrible. I mean, I, I know that the the week zero, the Notre Dame, all of that stuff uh, changes your, your Pac-12 schedule and all the other Pac-12 teams are still playing non-conference games. I, I would love to get... Oregon or Washington or one of those teams right now. I, I think that USC is more competent and, and put together than one or two of the, those challenging games that looks like at the end of the season. Um, I'd, I'd absolutely roll the dice with USC going and, and playing one of those games right now. I just, that run of games that you're going to have without a buy for the rest of the year, I, I think the bye week this week it hurts hurts USC in, in terms of the rest of that schedule. I, I think that they are at a place right now where you don't want to stop playing. I mean, what they've done offensively, what they did defensively this last Saturday, like you want to be on the field uh, on Saturday. I don't think the injury situation is anything where you're going to get a, a huge benefit. Uh, from having the buy right now and if they're in the championship right if they're in the Pac-12 championship game then you like having that that week off before there I think that you're more likely to get to the Pac-12 championship if you could get one of those teams now and, and have that buy later in the year Chris yeah Eric's right of course it's a terrible time for a buy I mean, I'd like to have a bye after Notre Dame and before Utah or after Washington and before Oregon. I mean, there are all kinds of times when USC is going to need a, a, a week to sort of heal up and get ready. I don't think they need to heal up and get ready. I mean, nobody has to play very much these days. So, no, it's a terrible time. But, you know, it's it's one extra week for the young guys to uh, to get a lot of work. And fortunately, unlike in years past where the young guys get a lot of work during the bye week, but you didn't have a lot of game film on them this year, you have a ton of game film on all those kids. And so, you know, they're going to take a step forward and USC is going to need some of those guys, particularly on the O-line where you're probably going to need Noah or Page to play some this year. So, uh, you know, it's not any bye week is useful, but 
But no, when you go through that run USC has and you don't have a break, you're going to want a break somewhere. Um, but they'll have to survive it, I suppose. Mark, how do you feel about it? You know, I'm, a, I'm in agreement with these guys. I, if we do have to have an early season buy, I would maybe have preferred it after this first road game going before USC has to head to Colorado because US uh, Colorado plays Oregon before USC travels into Boulder. So just to have that week off, watch that game film and really just focus in, uh, that would probably be the only change I would make as far as having the early season by. And Eric made a great point. You know, if USC gets to the conference championship game, that late season vacay is going to feel just fine because that's when players who are dinged up, they're going to want to have closer to 100%. They're going to get that extra time to to use the ice bath and, and the other types of medicinal treatments. If I had my choice, I'd put that by between Notre Dame and Utah because of the physicality of the Notre Dame game. Uh, we don't know what would happen physically. And then you have two two physical teams like that in a row. That could catch up to you in, in some shape or form. So I would prefer that it had been later myself. Uh, panel, Carl Williams, the father of Trojans All-America quarterback, Caleb Williams said recently that Caleb might be better off returning to USC for one more season rather than be drafted by the worst team in the NFL. Do you believe that Caleb might return for one more season if he doesn't like his NFL draft options? Eric? So I don't with the with the transfer portal with NIL with all the changes going on in college football, I don't like to lock into anything and say there's no chance or there it's definitely gonna happen. So I'm gonna leave that as it's possible, but I don't think it's probable. I my read on that is it's far more about what you said last. If he doesn't like his NFL draft options, I think this is more about changing that to where he does like his NFL draft options. And so there, there's a clear message to whoever's taking, whoever had number one pick, it would be best if that ended up with this team or this group of teams. That That's sort of the way that I'm reading that. But he does, he is going to go into that draft. Right. John Elway had baseball. I think Caleb Williams might have the most leverage of any potential number one pick when it comes to the NFL draft, because he can come back to USC and, and make $15 million, whatever it is in, in that year playing at USC or not playing anywhere. I mean, I, I don't think that he's the kind of guy that would, that would take a year off and, and go to that length, but uh, he is going to have a tremendous amount of leverage. And my read again is this is potentially the start of, of that whole process. That's going to be really fascinating to, to watch how that plays out. But, but it's clear that there are a group of teams in the NFL that I think any quarterback who wants to go and have success probably doesn't want to end up on out of his career, but it's also tough because if you're going to go to number one pick, whoever wins the Super Bowl is not going to draft number one. <laughs> whoever has a really good quarterback and, and a really good team probably has that quarterback already. So it's it, it's an interesting thing going on there. But but that's my read is that it it probably ends up more with 
getting into a, an adv- advantageous position when he does go to the NFL. Chris, what's what's is this an option? What do you think? Well, it wouldn't be completely unprecedented. I mean, Peyton Manning came back for his senior year when he would have been the number one pick after his junior year. It does happen sometimes with quarterback more often than with other positions. I don't think it's likely to happen this time. I think that Eric's right. This is primarily about leverage. And Eric's absolutely right that he has more leverage than anybody's ever had. Because you think about it, what is it that Caleb Williams wants? He knows he's not going to go to a good team. A good team wouldn't have the number one overall pick. But he. But there are some franchises that are notorious for consistently making terrible decisions. There may be some coaches that he doesn't want to play for, right? There are some situations that are really bad. And, and I think Caleb Williams is going to be able to avoid that because it's a very simple conversation between him and whoever has the number one pick. He's going to say, listen, I don't want to play for you. I don't, I don't like your franchise. I don't like your coach. I don't like the decisions you've made. I don't want to play there. So you have two choices. You can trade down to number two and probably get two first round draft choices in exchange for that, for that move downwards. And you can draft Drake May or whoever the next quarterback is on the board and have a couple of really high draft choices in the coming years. That's option number one. Option number two, you can tell me you're going to draft me anyway and refuse to trade down, in which case I'll go back to USC. I'll make $15 million and then I'll come out the next year. You're still going to end up drafting Drake May, but you're going to draft Drake May without the two draft choices. So it's really up to you. And in years past, quarterbacks may may say that. I mean, uh, you know, uh, John Elway used baseball. Eli Manning, I think, just threw a temper tantrum to get his way and it worked. But nobody had nobody had the sort of leverage that Caleb Williams has. Caleb Williams could make as much next year playing for USC as he would being a rookie in the NFL. And that, yes, that pushes off by one year his second contract. But if the if that if that extra year is a year where you made $15 million, it's not like it's a terrible financial decision. Um, and and so he has a believable threat and his father is already starting to lay the groundwork for that, which is really smart. So I, no, I don't think he's going to come back again. I think he might be bored if he came back again. The truth is I think the college game has gotten too easy for him at this point. Um, but I do think, I do think that threat is going to be significant and he'll probably be able to push aside the franchises he doesn't want to play for. And, um, and it does matter. It does matter who you get picked by. And as good as Caleb Williams is, he could end up in situations that really harm his career and make it where he's not the player that he wants to be. And and that hurts him not only financially, but I think in a more important way, Caleb Williams wants to go down as one of the great quarterbacks of all time. He said that he needs to be in the right situation. I think he has the leverage to force himself into that situation. And and a GM that's foolish enough not to listen to him may very well get that Drake may and no extra draft choices. And Caleb Williams goes back to school scenario happened to him, which if you're a GM in the NFL and you, and, and you pull that off, uh, you might as well just fire yourself because you're done. So it's smart what he's doing, but USC fans don't get, don't get your hopes up. This is the last year. He's not going to be opening up that LSU game for us. Mark, are you getting your hopes up? No, no, but look, this 
Caleb's father speaking in the magazine, talking about this, it was done on purpose. I, there's not a whole lot more to add to this. They were putting it out there. This is what it's going to take if you want Caleb Williams playing on your team next year, whether that's USC or whether it's a you know the number one pick in the NFL. You're going to pay. And you're either going to pay to make sure that we you you put the right players around Caleb Williams in the NFL, or if you're USC, we like the NL the NIL deals you put together so far. Show us what you can do. If we haven't come back to try and win a third Heisman and a second consecutive national championship. It's it's just stuff to talk about. It was done on purpose. Otherwise, you know, Caleb Williams doesn't get up there and, and say, "I don't want to talk about this." You don't have your father going to one, you know, to a men's magazine and lay that out there if you didn't want that information public. They're smart. They're not dumb people. Well, I, I think that Caleb Williams, that's a card that he could play. I mean, it seemed like last weekend, uh, it seemed like every commercial was Caleb for a Nissan house, Caleb for a Wendy's. And I, I, I'm kind of amused that Matt Leinart is kind of, uh, I hate to use this term, it's probably inappropriate, but on the coattails of uh, Caleb Williams and the Wendy's commercials, I believe. And then you have uh, a couple others. Uh, you know, it's just, uh, he's amazing. There's so two parts of Caleb. The football player, the off the field personality. I mean, this guy's got it all going. And I think the thing that uh, whether he comes back or not, I think the most impressive thing is the way he's handled it so far on the field. He's living up to everything. It's not easy, I would have to think. Now, for those of you viewing inside the Trojans Huddle, we strongly encourage you watching inside the Trojans Huddle on sites like YouTube to click on the like and red subscriber buttons. It's greatly valued, appreciated. Again, it's free. And you can also listen to Inside the Trojans Huddle on many available podcast sites. And be sure to check out wrsc.com and become a premium subscriber. All right, we kick off the third quarter with the lightning round. Folks, in honor of the Trojans going to the Big Ten in 2024, we kick off the third quarter of Inside the Trojans Huddle with our Big Ten lightning round panel. Answer the following statements with a brief comment if required. We'll go in this order, Mark, Eric, Chris, and myself. So here we go. Question one, yes or no? Were, were you surprised attendance for Saturday night's game, USC and Stanford, was under 70,000? Mark? I was surprised that they didn't announce that it was 70,000 because it looked like it on TV. It looked like it from the press box. Eric? Yeah, same thing. It looked significantly more than the you know 62 63 that they've announced for previous games chris uh not surprised and not disappointed they get, they'll sell out the last three games this year uh i was uh surprised but not disappointed in the crowd's reaction it was it sounded like there was at least seventy thousand there all right question two yes or no trojan's first half against stanford was the best first half of the lincoln riley era mark Yes. Eric? Yep. Chris? Yep. Agree. Question three. Fill in the blank. The best Pac-12 city for restaurants is... Mark? I haven't even seen this question yet. Um, I'm going to say the best press box is in Boulder, Colorado. No, it's the restaurant. I understand. I, 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 oh, the press box. Okay. I don't I have one. Right uh, for those of you that aren't 
obviously in the press box. They have a tremendous barbecue chicken. It's by far the best in the Pac-12. Uh, Eric, what's the best city for restaurants? Uh, yeah, the- Greg's already walking to Boulder so that he can make sure that he's there in time for the <laughs> for the press box meal. Uh, so the best Pac-12 seed, we have to choose between Corvallis and Pullman for this, right? Am I am I reading this correctly? Uh, I mean, it it's Los right, Angeles. Let's be clear. The best Pac-12 city for restaurants is... Aren't you checking the news, Greg? There are only two teams in the Pac-12. A, oh, a, a judge, a judge. That was a little above my, my today. So, at my age, that was a little over my head. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's Los Angeles. It's not it's not close, right? I mean, yes. I would have said the Bay Area five years ago, Chris. Yeah, you can make an argument for San Francisco, assuming. I mean, I know that neither one of those teams is actually in San Francisco. Seattle's a good one too. Seattle has Seattle has some good choices, but but the answer is probably Corvallis. All right, <laughs> uh, I was uh, conflicted San Francisco or Seattle. I left LA out because I looked at it as someone who would travel with the team uh, to the different cities. So I, I picked San Francisco. I, I like going to the wharf, seeing and going into Sausalito and. In, in Tuberon. Uh, so uh, that's my take on it. <laughs> Question four, fill in the blank. If I could have dinner with one living Trojan or a Trojan from the past, who would it be? Mark, who do you want to have dinner with, living or in the past? Man, there's so many names. Sean Cody. I All think right. he's a fun dude to eat with for some reason. Eric? Uh, McKay. Joe McKay. Chris? Greg Furtig, maybe a, a close second. Okay. Chris? I'm going to give three names. It's not a date. It doesn't have to be one-on-one. I'm going Louis Zamperini, John Wayne, and Will Ferrell. Wow. Okay. That'd be a good night. I'd invite you too, Greg, if there's a fifth seat, but I don't know if there will be. Well, I would suspect I wouldn't be invited. Uh, For me, John McKay. Question five, fill in the blank. The best tailgating for a Pac-12 stadium is where, Mark? If you can take away the driving in and the driving out, it's the Rose Bowl. Eric? I don't know. I honestly don't don't do a lot of stuff around stadiums before the game. I mean, what right? Washington's uh the 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 bay and the boats and all of that kind of stuff that that seems pretty idyllic when when you see photos of that chris uh both good answers i'm going to go with the rose bowl with the same caveats that uh that that mark gave i'm not picking washington just because the weather's always so bleak there all right i was torn between uh the rose bowl for the reasons given and uh washington I'm not a big tail guy, gate guy, but uh, when push comes to shove, I, I would I would say the Rose Bowl. It's that that's a hard place to beat. Uh, question six: Fill in the blank. The worst weather to watch a football game is in the rain, the snow, or the heat. Mark, I've done all of them, and it is by far the heat. It sucks. We just <laughs> found out 7:30 p.m. ASU. So it'll be down to 97 degrees. Is that what we're hoping for? We're hoping for. Eric? 
Yeah, it's it's probably the heat when it's just brutal. Although I sitting at that the USC Notre Dame game, I think it was 2010. The the I I I don't like calling it the the Ronald Johnson game, but it's the best way I can describe it. Uh, that rained a lot, and I was absolutely soaked sitting in the stands. And that was, I guess, maybe it depends on what's going on in the field, right? All of those things maybe are enjoyable when you when you like what's going on in the field. But uh, for for this answer, the the heat is rough. Again, I don't I don't love seven thirty kicks, but it was mandatory that that Arizona State kick was was seven thirty coming up. Chris. So I I played uh, I played college football in Kansas City. If you ever if you ever watch a Kansas City Chiefs game late in the season, and you see what see what it looks like, um, it is painfully cold. Not huge amounts of snow, although it snows. But the worst experience I've ever had at a football game is one I played in, and it was. Whatever the slightest uh, uh, temperature rise you have to have in order to keep the rain from freezing, that's what the temperature was. And the wind was blowing at at least 30 miles per hour. And I, I, I got to tell you, I played, I played in a game in Hawaii where it was 120 on the field, and that was awful. But that was nothing like this game. It was so horrific that even right now, as I'm just thinking about it, I mean, it didn't help that we got beat 28 to nothing. But um, just thinking about how cold that was and all the things I was trying to do just to stay barely alive on the sideline where we're waiting for our offense to go three and out, it was, uh, it was horrific. So I'm going to say that, that really cold rain where it's not quite, was not quite freezing, there's nothing worse than that. Well, I tell you, I've been in Lambeau Field in December and it is brutal brutal i've never been in cold that cold it was like peeling my skin off like a potato and i hate the heat i don't like the heat uh i don't like going to palm springs what have you but given the choice between the two which isn't much of a choice i don't want to be in the heat i can't take the heat question seven yes or no have you ever paid over three hundred dollars for a ticket to attend a college football game. Mark? No. Eric? No. Chris? I don't think so. Just for the ticket, I've certainly paid a lot more than that to go places and watch, but I don't think I've paid more than 300 for a single ticket. I have not paid 300 for a single ticket to see a college football game. Question eight, yes or no? Before the Trojans take the field before kickoff, the celebrity tunnel runner leading the men of Troy onto the field should be limited to a former USC football great. Yes or no, Mark? Sure, I'll plant a flag on that hill. Yes. Eric? No. Cheryl Miller was awesome. Chris? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think it should be I think it should be an athlete or somebody whose stature is so high that you can't dismiss it. Will Farrell coming out of the tunnel, completely legitimate. Um, uh, Cheryl Miller is completely legitimate. But uh, otherwise, a uh, football player is the right choice. Yeah, I agree. Former football player. But exceptions like Will Farrell, I would agree. 
Question nine. Yes or no? Since the Trojans have announced they'll be playing in the Big Ten in 2024, have you been paying atten more attention to the Big Ten this football season, Mark? More attention? No. Same. I pay attention to it. Okay. Uh, Eric, have you been paying more attention to uh, the Big Ten than you have in the past? Not really. Uh, my my second team uh, for a while has been Northwestern. My wife went there. We have a bunch of friends that still live out there. It has been, to put it mildly, a rough year for the Wildcats. So, uh, no, not not paying quite as much attention to them. But I, I think you know, right? You know the, the the big teams. You know kind of the trends. You you want to get kind of up on what to expect for for next year. I think. So far, it seems like a lot of the same from from that conference. Yeah, it's to me, it's uh, I don't say that I've uh, I'm not paying more attention to them uh, because the same cast of characters seems to repeat itself every year. But, you know, uh, maybe later in the season when things become more defined, Penn State, so on. Um, question 10. Yes or no. Greg, how did you know that I didn't have a very good answer to that question? You know, I skipped over it because your last question I know took a lot out of you. I thought yeah. it took what, what? that was okay. my that was my part. Oh, I, I apologize. Right I apologize for that. I apologize. No, it's fine, Greg. I'm not gonna say anything now. I took the bye week right before this next big question. It's fine. <laughs> Let's just move on. All right. Do, do you Chris, come on. Do, do you follow I'm not answer the question, Greg? Just move on. Oh wow, what an yeah. attitude. Question ten, yes or no. In the final year of the Pac-12 as we know it, the 2023 Pac-12 champion will make the postseason college football playoffs. Mark? Uh, yeah, it's going to be USC. Eric? I don't want to say no just because that's what I know of the Pac-12. It It's so ingrained that it's going to start out so well and then absolutely collapse uh, at, at the end of the year. But I'll say yes. I'll say yes. I because I think that it's so good. It's such a good conference this year that we should already have it plugged in that whoever wins the Pac-12, a one-loss team, even maybe a two-loss team, uh, what were the gets, teams this year, right? gets the benefit. Right. Well, for so many years, right? The SEC was like, oh my gosh, look what we did at a conference. Look at all these ranked wins we're gonna have in conference. We should have two teams. Nobody ever pitches that. For the Pac-12, the Pac-12 right now, I don't know if it's that close, is the, the best conference in, in college football right now. This is about the time where you start talking about, oh, should should two Pac-12 teams get into the, the college football playoffs? I, I So I'll say yes, because it should, kind of no matter how the rest of the year plays out, because the, the, these are good teams out here this year. Chris? It should happen, but the problem is, there's so many good Pac-12 teams that you could see the, the the conference champion having two losses. And if they have two losses, I don't think they're in. I mean, nobody's ever gotten in with two losses. So uh, I think the answer is yes, because I think USC will, will make it through with one loss or less. But, I mean, look, it could happen. You, you, you could see a... You could see USC with one loss playing a Washington team with two losses and getting upset in that, in that game. And then I think the Pac-12 is out of it. So... I don't think that'll happen, but it's not crazy. All right, I say yes, and I and I think there's a variable, two variables in this. I think for all the reasons you guys have already said, but I think that the Pac-12 is going to be a sentimental choice 
And what an embarrassment that would be to the people that helped destroy it. And plus, you can't leave out the Caleb Williams factor. That would draw viewers. So I think they're in a, an excellent position to get somebody into it. Now, bonus question. Phil, movie I have ever seen is Mark. The What's the best movie you've ever seen? Breakfast Club. Ooh. All right. Eric? Yeah, I don't know if it's the best, but certainly the, the go-to for me is uh, is The Big Lebowski. Okay. Chris, the movie buff. Eric's the dude. So the best movie, I think the best movie I've seen is The Godfather. But but there's a different question, and that is, what's the movie, if it's on TV as I'm flipping through the channels and I see that it's on, will I always stop and watch? And there are two Rudy. answers. There are two answers that it's not it's not one of them. <laughs> there are two answers to that question. One is Top Gun, and the other is Tombstone. I will always stop and watch if those movies are on. All right. And I will complete that question by saying the best movie I've ever seen, Ben Hur, going back to uh the Charlton Heston days. Uh if I like Chris, if I see it's showing, but I've got a copy of it anyway on DVD, and I just love watching the whole thing. Now, before we begin the fourth quarter, this is a very special lighting of the ceremonial Coliseum torch this time, because I know, because in the press box, this, uh, oh, come on, you're not lighting? Give me a break. Uh-oh, that would be oh. a tragedy. Be, it would be a tragedy. Is that a gas? A wonderful woman who passes statistics out each and every game, and she leaned over uh, to me and said, you know, I really like it when you light up that symbolic torch. That did not, that conversation did not take place. Okay, now, excuse me, councilman or counselor. It did take place because Eric was sitting right next to me. Yeah, uh, Eric, really? Yeah. That happened? She did. <laughs> okay, well, I'm sorry to hear it. But let's move on. I, you know, I don't need like to. Like, I'll try to get out of it now if you raked me in the coals beforehand. Well, I mean, on you. And now you got embarrassed because the great. Not embarrassed. No, I am embarrassed because if that's a part of the show that people are looking forward to, that does not say much for the rest of what we're doing here. For what well, it's worth, she leaned over before she gave it to she gave Greg the comp and said, "I'm going to make Greg feel good. Watch this." I, Chris, I can't believe that you asked a witness a question that you didn't already know the answer to. You you really right. put yourself out there on that. Right on, brother. Yeah. yeah well, there's yeah no, no that's fine. Right, well, this, We'll move on. There's a there's this incredible slate of games we're going to talk about. Okay, it's look at how easily... he tried to change the subject, but no, we're going to follow it in the interest of time. All right, here we go. Fourth quarter, Bell. Here we go. Predictions. Uh, we're going to ask you to predict the winner of, from ranked Pac-12 teams, and uh, we are not going to do a national game of significance this uh, this time because there isn't any. But that being said, Saturday, September sixteenth. We'll just go unanimous on this. Weber State at number 12, Utah, 11 a.m., Pac-12 net. Uh, there is no point spread on this game, and we all know why. So we're all in agreement that Utah. There we go, deafening. Yeah. Uh, San Diego State at number Greg's six. Out. The, the answer is that the Pac-12 is going undefeated uh, this weekend. All right. Well, in the interest you know, of the, the worst, the best game nationally is is Tennessee playing a really bad Florida team. 
It's, oh, I mean, please. this is the worst week of college football uh, all year. It's horrible. Next week, after this, amazing week. This week is terrible. There's not even a game worth talking about. Well, for protocol and those that want to know when a game is and what channel's in, we're going to come this up. Information. People number have smartphones, Greg. 12.30 It's not like somebody sitting around saying, I wonder – I wonder when I'll be able to watch San Diego State and Oregon State. Maybe I'll sure, it's coming. The it's coming. Hold on. Hold on. It's coming. <laughs> Oregon State is favored by 23 points. Uh, North Carolina Central at number 24, UCLA, 2 p.m. Pac-12, Los Angeles. UCLA will win that game. We're all in agreement on that. University of Northern Colorado. All right. At number 23, Washington State, 2 p.m. Pac-12 net in Washington. Uh, we're going to agree that Washington State takes that one. Number eight. Okay, now this is one that you could you can you're gonna have a pick here. Number eight, Washington at dysfunctional Michigan State, 2 p.m. uh Pacific time on uh Peacock. Washington is favored by 14 points. Chris, is that gonna happen? The game, uh, they, they will play it and Washington will win it. This, okay. by the way, was a thrilling three minutes of uh inside the Trojans huddle. I mean, I at the end of the year, when they give out awards, I think this is the portion of the episode that everybody will point to is really the highlight of the season. <laughs> Mark? Yeah, uh, I'm going to keep my Emmy nomination in my back pocket for this episode. Uh, yeah, Washington will win. I don't know if they cover. All right, Eric? Yeah. Uh, Washington will win. Uh, we'll uh, skip this one. Hawaii, number 13, Oregon. 5 p.m. Pacific time, Pac-12 Networks. Uh, Oregon's going to kill them. Colorado State at number 22, uh, Colorado, 7 p.m. ESPN. Uh, Colorado is favored in this one. We are all in agreement. Yes, yes. That's only a 23-point spread? That surprises me a little bit. Well, there you go. It caught your fancy. Well, uh, yeah. Chris, were you surprised that Nebraska was, was – or Colorado was only favored by – few points as they were over Nebraska I was I was also but I also made a big deal of Utah being favored by so few over Baylor and it turns out that I had no idea what I was talking about on that one so I still think Colorado Colorado State's been lousy they're, they're going to cover that game. no I agree I was just curious because I, I was surprised by that spread as well yeah. Yeah, as as Chris mentioned next week uh is going to be a lot of great games uh, all over the place, and we'll, we, we'll we'll try to get to the ones that matter. All right, here we go. Overtime questions and answers panel. Time for to answer some viewer questions from the WeRSE member message board. It's an open forum. Question one from Trojan from the Valley panel. It was an incredible first half and a great win against Stanford. However, the Trojans give up, give up quite a few big plays and seem to have a very tough time stopping the run. Stanford had two hundred nine yards rushing against us and the running quarterback, especially in the second half. Does this concern you moving forward? And will the return of Mason Cobb help contain the running quarterbacks we're going to see in the next two months? Feel free to chime in. What do you think? Nothing that happened in the second half of that game concerns me in any way moving forward. That was a 30-minute practice to, to finish that game out. That game was the first half, and I think that's the the lasting, uh, I guess, knowledge that you need to take from that one, for me. Okay. I, I, yeah, I talked about the running yards they gave up earlier in the show. It's, it is what it is. 
Um, they they gave up 200 yards, but they they weren't hurt by the running game. That's that's really what you want to look at. Big picture, were they hurt? No. Chris, anything to add? No. Okay. Question two from Don, aka Trojan fan in Bama. How great would the playoffs be if these blue bloods made it? USC, Alabama, Texas, and Michigan with USC versus Texas for a rematch in the national championship game with SC getting revenge. How do you feel about that? Alabama's not going to get there this year. They, I mean, they do not have they do not have a quarterback that's going to get them there. I mean, those would be great games, but any I think any of the four teams that get to the playoff for this year are going to be some fun teams to watch. First of all, this would be the right year to play Alabama, but uh, if it's USC and three other teams, I don't care who those other three teams are. I'm happy. Okay, question three from Freddie in San Juan Capistrano, California. I was disappointed that our last game against Stanford drew under 70,000 fans. What's it going to take to sell out the Cali? Uh, I'll, I'll just chime in quickly on this. The opponents. The opponents as long as Essie's winning, it would not shock me. Actually, what would help is if the bandwagon fans would show up. What do you think, guys? Well, you need to, and and, and opposing fans too, right? I mean, Stanford fans weren't going to come out for that one, and and the other two teams were terrible. Utah, what? The answer is Utah, Washington, UCLA. That's what it's going to take to sell out the Coliseum. Those three games. And I agree. I think they'll show up definitely. Question four from Jake and Ventura. Who's the biggest threat to USC losing a game, Notre Dame or Oregon? It's Oregon, but, but it's 90% of that is the schedule. If if those two teams were flipped, the answer is Notre Dame. They, they've got kind of more of a direct shot at Notre Dame. Oregon is coming after Notre Dame, Utah, Cal, Washington, and then you have the the trip to Oregon. I, I think if those two teams were flipped on the schedule, my answer would flip. Uh, but that's it. I, I think at this point, Notre Dame's probably the better team. Um, but I think based on kind of where they fall in that schedule, it's it's a tougher game at Oregon. I agree completely. Acceptable answer. Agree. Question five from Connie in Arcadia, California. Where do Dr. Carol Folt and the new AD sit during the game? In the president's box. And yeah, didn't they say that she's always on the sidelines? So watching the game, the athletic director? I, end I, of the game. Oh, I didn't see her this last game. Was she there on the sidelines? They were both on the sideline at the end of the game. At the end of the game, okay. Well, we got that cleared up. Uh, question six from Nick in Altadena, California. Do you think that Rayleigh Brown will enter the transfer portal at the end of the season? I say yes. I think at this point that that's probably the guess. I think there's a long way between now and then, but I mean, the, the parallels to what happened with Gary Bryant Jr. Happening this exact same way, same position slot receiver, wasn't the starter kind of an or thing there. The, the touches at the beginning of the year, the way it was kind of like, yeah, he'll he'll probably redshirt. The thought of like, oh, things could still change. Um, I think the the father in that one too said, you know, no, we don't we don't anticipate the transfer portal. We're gonna do all of this stuff, and then transfer portal 
opens he's in and and at Oregon. I, again, I'm not going to lock anything. Football has a number of ways where things can go now based on what, what players can do and all of that stuff. Uh, at this point, with him not being at either of the last two games, yes, right? I mean, I mean that, that has to be, I guess at this point, I hope not. That's Here's the thing with him and Gary Bryant. Gary Bryant was showing up to the games, putting on his jersey. Ray Lake's not showing up to the games. Connect the dots. The disappointing part about it is that he's obviously uh, he's obviously talented enough that you would want him on the roster. But the truth is that if Ray Lake Brown is upset because he's not uh, he's not a go to guy at either running back or slot, the reality is he's not good enough to be. He's not. I mean, Taj Washington is substantially better than he is. Zachariah Branch is substantially better than he is. Um, both of the lead tailbacks are substantially better than he is. And that it's not and that's not that he's not a good player. He is a good player. It's just he's on a team with a bunch of really good players, and he's only a sophomore. Stick around and have a couple of those guys leave, and he could be a he could be a major factor next year. So I it's disappointing to me that that he thinks apparently that he needs to, that he needs to leave. But um, I don't know what Lincoln Riley's supposed to do. Who's he supposed to play him in front of? Which of those guys? Question seven from Morgan in Dallas, your area, Chris. I was wondering who decides who leads the team out of the tunnel before a game. In other words, who's the decision maker? I have no idea. Morgan, I've got a call and I'll let you know. On our next show, if I get an answer, how's that? Caleb Williams, probably. <laughs> well, he probably doesn't bother with it, but if he wanted somebody, it would happen. <laughs> you would think. Question eight from Mason in San Pedro, California. Guys, we lost another big-time linebacker and Chris Cole from Virginia, who announced for Georgia panel. Why do you think we lose a linebacker like Cole after he said such nice things about us? Because Georgia wins national championships and fire hoses defensive players into the NFL. That's it. That That's what Georgia has done. That's what these guys have seen. I, I suspect he said nice things about Georgia, too. He probably says nice things about a lot of programs. I mean, I, I don't know why anybody would be surprised that a kid from Virginia, who is a whole lot closer to Athens, Georgia, than L.A., would go play for Georgia that has the the decent, you know, the defensive resume that that Eric suggested. This is not the USC coaches falling apart. It's not that recruiting's going terribly. They tried to steal a kid from the South who's a linebacker and Georgia got him. Georgia should get him. That's like that's like that's the equivalent of there being a, a big time quarterback from from Southern California and and somebody comes in says, oh, we didn't get him. He went to USC. Of course he did. It's not a problem. And by the way, what I think we've seen this year is that where Lincoln Riley needs to, he will go and find some guys in the portal and he'll plug them in and the team's talent will be better than it was a year before. That's what's going to happen. I don't know who the linebacker is going to be. He'll find somebody and the kid will be able to play. It's just not, this is not something we need to be, uh, we need to be worried about. Yeah, because and and to, to Mason's point, asking you know he said so many nice things. All the players say nice things. All the recruits are going to say nice things. Kingston Viliamuasa said nice things. It 
players have their reasons for choosing other schools. Period. They're in it. I mean, SC's in it with him, yeah. right? Like they they got in it. They're they're impressing these guys on visits. I know you get no credit for coming in second place, but in this transfer portal world, you kind of do. I mean, there there are times where making an impact during the recruiting process and being that like second or third choice that helps you down the line where some of these guys, they'll, they'll either talk to teammates or other players, or they end up in the transfer portal and those connections you made, they help out big time. Yeah. I think if you lose a player, you lost them on the first round. Doesn't mean you're not going to see them on the second round. So, you know, and there was also that feeling that Chris, uh, Cole goes back to his his area and says what a great time he had at SC and other players that are in, from that area hear that they're liable to take a trip out here. So, uh, you know, you, you lost the big prize, but you really have a chance to make some positives out of uh, uh, a disappointing uh, announcement. And remember, it's still just, uh, you know, here we are in, in September. It's not signing date yet. So, a reminder again, if you have a question or comments for our panel, go to the WeRSC members message board, click on the thread that pertains to Inside the Trojan Settle, viewer or listener questions. And once again, if you enjoyed Inside the Trojan Settle, please click on the like and red subscriber buttons. We greatly appreciate your support. And be sure to check out WeRSC.com and become a premium subscriber. Well, that'll do it for Tuesday's edition of Inside the Trojan Settle. A reminder to watch five things on YouTube shortly following uh, every USC football game home and away. Uh, and so till next Tuesday, when we preview the uh, Arizona State game, the Trojans' first road game, and we'll preview all things USC football. A big thank you again to our great panelists, Mark Culkin, Eric McKinney, and Chris Arledge. And a special big thank you to all of you for watching or listening to Inside the Trojan Subtle. Have yourself a great bye week. And until next Tuesday, this is your moderator, Greg Katz, Reminding you all to fight on, everybody.